You are listening to The Gospel for Geeks. I'm Father Roderick, and this is a recording of my Sunday homily. You can find more information about the Bible readings in the show notes. When we first meet Bilbo Baggins at the beginning of his story, he is visited by Gandalf, who wonders if he is the one who will join him on an adventure. But Bilbo does not want to hear of that. In fact, he has his own plans. He's busy. He's got stuff to do. He's got matters to attend to. He's got groceries to get. He's got food to prepare. He's got a house to clean. No adventures. But Gandalf has other plans, and so he marks the green door of Bag End. And in the evening, the dwarves, when they pass by the house, see the marking on the door and knock and want to get in. After all, this is the place that Gandalf had indicated them. And when Bilbo welcomes the first few dwarves, he is a little bit discombobulated. He is a bit disturbed, but he is also a very well-raised hobbit, and he knows that welcoming guests is part of the job. But when the dwarves keep literally piling up <laughs> in his hallway, he starts to panic. He's like, how am I going to take care of all these dwarves? And then the dwarves start to look in the pantry for food and start basically taking over his life. And you can see the panic in his eyes. This is not how things are supposed to go. Little does Bilbo know that his entire life is going to be taken from him. That everything that he thought he had under control is basically going to be gone in a few days from now. And the only way for him to survive the adventure that he is going to undertake with these dwarves and with this gray wizard is by just listening to the plan, just following his nose, just trusting that it will come in time. It's the total opposite of the kind of lifestyle that he felt comfortable with. But you'll have to adapt. Frodo is very different. He is presented to us as more of a, a reader. When we first see him, he's in a tree or under a tree reading a book. He is a bit of a dreamer. He's definitely not the organizer. He's very different from his uncle. But he too is a hobbit. So when Gandalf knocks on his door, sure, he's willing to follow the wizard and see what comes next. And then when they are finally together with this strange fellowships of dwarves and elves and man, and they're all there in Rivendell deciding what to do and who should carry the ring, nobody really wants to go. And then Frodo steps forward, almost naive, and he says, well, I will just do it. I'll do it. And then, of course, Sam is like, but Master, then I too, I want to go with you, Master Frodo. And then two other hobbits also join him. And it's, it's very interesting how Tolkien distinguishes these two hobbits that are from the same family and yet have such different characters. They really remind me of today's gospel, where we meet two sisters, Martha and Mary. Jesus is traveling around and he is welcomed by Martha in her house. 
And later on, they will become very good friends, and you will uh, be uh, uh, often a guest in their house. But this is apparently the first time that they ever meet. And so Martha immediately goes to the kitchen and starts preparing dinner and maybe cleaning some stuff, making sure that Jesus is comfortable, whereas Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, just listening. And then you have that very well-known scene where Martha comes from the kitchen. I imagine her face is red, she's sweating, and she's like, but come on! I have to do everything by myself. Jesus, tell her to help me. And then Jesus says something shocking to Martha, also shocking to us as readers. We're like, no, 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 no. She has chosen the most important thing to do. You're worried about a lot of things, but she, she knows what is truly important. I am not going to take that from her. When Jesus does something shocking, something, something that perturbs us a little bit, something that sounds even a bit unjust, we always have to dig a little bit deeper. Maybe there are some other hidden layers in this story that we haven't perceived yet. And I think the key to this gospel reading is the first reading that we heard about Abraham and Sarah. This happens a long time, many, many centuries before Jesus. This is one of the first collection of stories that we have in our Bible, Abraham's. That's where it all began. And we, we see the scene before us. It's a hot day and everybody stays inside their tents or in the shadows of trees, except for these three wanderers. And when they arrive, Abraham is like, oh my gosh, you shouldn't be outside in this kind of weather. Please, please, lords. Come and sit and let me get you some, some drinks and some, some food. And he sends Sarah to the kitchen and is like, quickly, let, let, make some food. And then he, he asks his uh, servant to prepare uh, some meat. And then he, he wants his guests to be as comfortable as possible. And then something really interesting happens towards the end of this reading. Without even needing Abraham to tell them about his situation, they ask him, where's your wife, Sarah? They know her name. <laughs> they haven't been told, but they know. And then Sarah needs to be here too. Because God has a plan with the two of you, your future together will be a future that you haven't been able to imagine. In fact, you have no children, but next year, when I come back, your wife will have a child. And there is also something else very mysterious happening in this reading. So we first hear about three wanderers, but then towards the end of the conversation, there seems to be only one person who says, next year I'll be back and you'll have a child. Starts with three, ends with one. What's going on here? Well, in history, especially after Jesus revealing to us that he is not only the Son of God, his Father, but there is also a helper, the Holy Spirit. And then later on, Christians thinking about this and understanding, well, wait a minute. So we have one God in three persons. Once they came to that realization and they read this story again, it all fit together. They are like oh, three persons and then there's only one. 
this is a prefiguration. This is, this is a, a manifestation of the Trinity already in those early stories of the Bible. It was there all along. We just never realized it. And what happens there, this God visiting three persons, visiting Abraham, and giving not just Abraham a future, but involving his wife, is a calling that is almost a contrast, like the, the mirror opposite of, Ab of Adam and Eve, also a couple that was called to walk in God's, in God's ways, and, and instead ran away and refused and, and, and didn't give themselves to, to God. Instead, they, they just wanted to eat from the tree um, as if God hadn't give them, uh, given them enough. And here we see the opposite. We see Abraham and Sarah giving everything away to make these guests comfortable, thereby starting a, a journey that lasts until today. We too are like Abraham and Sarah called to make contact with God, to welcome him into our lives, to give ourselves to him everything we are. Also our time, our love, there should be nothing that we hold back. Everything belongs to God. He, he created us. And in, and in return, God gives us his only son. He gives us the Eucharist, food, and drink for the rest of our lives and for the rest of eternity. And what is so striking is that in this early story about Abraham and Sarah, the two of them are involved in God's plan. The two of them are called to make the future. And this, I think, gives us an interesting new perspective on what's happening here between Martha and Mary. This is not just Jesus condemning the busybodies, the organizers, the people that just want to do stuff, and then uh, favoring the contemplative people. I don't think that that is true. I think there is something else going on here. This is about the roles that people play and the kind of attitude that people take in the role they play. So, Martha knows it's her job to be in the kitchen, to be a good hostess for any guests, especially for this rabbi. But by taking on that role of the caregiver, the provider, she also takes hold of the situation. She is not only the boss in the kitchen, but she also wants to be the boss about her uh, uh, sister. And she wants Jesus to play the role of the rabbi who orders the sister what to do. But Mary does something very interesting. She chooses another role and she takes the position, and this is what's, I think, hidden underneath in the, in the subtext of this reading. She chooses the position of the disciple, of the follower of Jesus, of the apostle. She also is sitting at his feet, just like the apostles, when Jesus called them, were following in the footsteps of Jesus. However, this was not supposed to be something that women did. This was a man's job, and the women should be in the kitchen. 
I really believe that that is part of this story. And Jesus is known to break with conventions. But what he especially wants to break here is this idea that you have to be always in control. Because he is the one who is giving. Yes, he is the guest. But just like the three men, the three wanderers in the story of Abraham and Sarah, he is also there to give. And so, yes, sure, you, you, you want to be hospitable. You want to provide Jesus with food and comfort. But you shouldn't worry too much about everything being perfect. It's much more important to be open to the call of Jesus. Do you want to become my disciple? And so the fact that here Mary has chosen to be a disciple, even though that wasn't really normal for women to do in those days, Jesus says to Martha, I'm not here to tell people what to do. She made a choice. I respect that. She wants to follow me. She wants to learn from me. She has her heart open. I'm not going to send her away. That's not going to be taken from her. In fact, Martha, why don't you do the same? Just leave the kitchen. Don't worry about it. You, you worry too much. Just come and follow me. Just like Jesus has said in all these other vocational stories, when people are like hesitant, like, yeah, I'd like to follow you, but I've got my father back at home. I've got my job. Let me first go back. And Jesus says, no, no, follow me now. Leave it. And that, I think, is what Tolkien in his story uh, about Bilbo and Frodo teaches us as well. Bilbo is by trying to control his kitchen and his home and being a good, well-raised hobbit, he's also displaying a total uh, uh, lack of openness to, to adventure, to his calling. He wants to have everything under control and he starts to panic as soon as the dwarves take over. He has to learn that if you really want to find your destiny in life, it's all about letting go of that control and follow those that God puts on your path. You are not the center of the world. You don't have to do everything yourself. You have a fellowship. You have friends that will help you. In fact, the Peter Jackson movie shows it, I think, in a wonderful way where the dwarves are just doing the dishes and they, the house is perfectly in order after that that night of debauchery and food and drinks and, and, and singing. It's, it's a way in which Tolkien tells us not to be like Bilbo. Just let it go. Be more like Frodo. Be open for this adventure. Be willing to step forward even if everybody steps back and thinks, yeah, this is not going to work. This is too hard. One does not just walk like that into Mordor. And Frodo is like, well, why not? I'm just going to do it. And then his friends follow. That is an art to be able to do that. And I have to honestly admit, I have trouble with that every day. I like to be in control. I want my house to be nice and neat. And if there is ever a technical problem, I panic. I feel like Bilbo losing control. And where are the dwarves to help me? Where is Gandalf, the tech wizard, who will make sure that everything runs well? And yet, it's all about staying calm. You are not the captain. You are not in charge. Jesus is. 
He's the one who gives you way more than you have given him first. And so trust him, follow in his footsteps, and all will be well. Thank you for listening to the Gospel for Geeks. You can join me live for Mass every Sunday at 5 p.m. Central European Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. Follow me on social media at Father Roderick for a link to the live stream. If you want to contribute to this ministry, go to fatherroderick.com donate.